Welcome to the Real Estate Ventures Podcast. In this podcast, we will be speaking with various real estate and business professionals about real estate investing, entrepreneurship, and financial freedom. So, if you're interested in learning about real estate investing, then stay tuned and be sure to take advantage of the free tips and strategies that will be shared by our weekly guests. And now, your host, Penny Lubinsky. Hello and welcome back to the Real Estate Ventures Podcast. I'm your host, Penny Lubinsky. Today we have a guest, Chris Freeman. Uh, he has been in the high-tech sales leadership industry for over 25 years, but right now he's buying commercial real estate and specifically multifamily. And he is specifically trying to help high-tech professionals get financial freedom and get into the real estate game. So I'd love to hear more about his story and more about this whole, you know, high tech situation and getting into that. So Chris, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Penny. I really appreciate you having me on today. Awesome. Awesome. So how would you, how would you say you got into real estate and what did, what did your career kind of look like before that? Just give us a little background about yourself. Yeah, Penny, I started, uh, I was in high tech sales back in like 1999 um, doing really well, making a lot of money, putting a lot of my uh, my earnings into the stock market and uh, included a lot of tech stocks. Also, my 401k, uh, I'm fully funding that. And that happened to have a higher match if I took the match in company stock versus just raw dollars. And so, of course, I said, well, hey, I want more. So I did that. And, uh, you know, I just had started to look at, you know, multifamily and I bought a duplex and I moved into half of it. And I thought, oh, this is pretty cool. It's paying part of my mortgage. Right about that time, uh, as we went into 2000, 2001, uh, the dot-com bubble burst and tech companies cratered, the stock market cratered, and my 401k definitely cratered. And I watched my, my portfolio, it was a six-figure portfolio at a rather young age, go down 90%. Uh, my 401k was almost wiped out because it was heavily into the company stock. And uh, you know, I was looking around going, well, that wasn't fun. And at the same time, I was looking at my future partner who I, I met in Portland, Oregon, and he had been in the real estate business for 30, 40 years at that point, and he'd already made it, done well. And I was watching him continue to roll in a full income, you know, pretty, pretty good income, while many of his pretty well-to-do friends were starting to really back off on their spending as a result of the stock market crash. So not going on international trips, not uh, going to football bowl games. And I started to, to look at him and I realized that's, that's what I want. You know, I, I've been burned on the stock market and, uh, you know, I really decided at that point, the real estate thing was for me. And so um, had my duplex and really set a goal in about 2002 that I wanted to get to 300 units uh, that I owned outright. And that would provide all the income and cash flow that I would ever need for my wife and my family. Um, and uh, so I just continued to plug away at that for the last 20 years. And today we sit at about, at about 110 doors, just myself and my partner, and mostly in Portland, Oregon and outside of the uh, metro market. And, uh, you know, we've been owners, operators, self-managing, uh, really doing everything. And these, these are all small buildings, you know, 10 units, 15 units, 20 units. But um, yeah, that's been for the last 20 years, as I've been in high-tech sales, just slowly buying, holding, reinvesting every penny of cash flow back into the next deal. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's cool. And there's a couple of things I want to touch on in, in your story. Sure. One is um, it's really interesting that everyone has that every, everyone that gets into real estate has that like aha moment. 
And um, it's, it's the moment where they realize that, you know, everything they've been doing up until now, um, you know, may have worked or maybe just like be good enough to like be getting them by, but it's not really the ideal way of building wealth that can withstand, you know, recessions, depressions, crashes, um, and all that kind of stuff. And it's just interesting, you know, that you had this, this friend, you know, that you were able to, you know, look at and, and notice that he was doing well when the entire world was, was struggling. And then you, you kind of realize that his vehicle, his way to get in there was real estate. So, you know, that that's pretty interesting. And look what that sparked, that sparked an entire new, you know, career for you and, you know, reaching, you know, well over, well over a hundred doors at this point. And, um, you know, well on your goal to, to financial freedom and now inspiring and helping other people get there. So it's interesting how like one little person in your life, uh, not a little person, but one person in your life, like, you know, caused this whole chain reaction to like your whole, pretty much your whole life changing. So I, I think that's like fantastic. And I just, I have a question. You started with sure. duplex. So at that time, I assume you were working full time, right? Right. Um, and then right now, are you doing real estate full time or are you still like kind of half and half? Like where are you at now? No, no, I have a full time W2 job in technology. I'm a sales director. So I lead uh, you know, multiple sales teams. And uh, you know, over time, we moved uh, all of those assets under professional property management because I just couldn't scale and, and do it right and do the oh. W2 job right. So, um, yeah, so I'm working full time, and uh, the other thing that I've learned is it's just significantly easier to do bigger deals with a team, uh, and it ends up freeing up cycles for uh, me to focus on more specific areas of real estate. And uh, so that's what I've been doing for the last few years, or really the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, as far as this is something I want to dive into, so as far as a W two, like, would you recommend? So it seems like you're still working the W two while you're building the real estate on the side. Um, you see other people that just kind of like get inspired by the real estate. They, you know, they get hit, they get bit by the real estate bug and they're like, that's it. I'm all in on this. I'm quitting my W2. I'm quitting my job. I'm just going to go after real estate. Um, do you, do you think that that is a wrong approach or like, what's your opinion on, on somebody just going cold, cold Turkey, as opposed to building it on the side while they have their W2 and then eventually after time transitioning into full-time real estate? Yeah, it's a good question. And it really depends on their motivation. Um, I've met a lot of people that uh, are looking to leave their W-2 and they're looking at real estate as an alternative and want to jump into it. But what really concerns me is, you know, if you're looking, if you're running from something to something, you're going into it with the wrong, really the wrong foundation. I think that sets you up for failure. And I mean, just think about it in life, whenever you've run from something to something, when does that ever work out? Whether it's a uh, friendship, a business relationship, uh, you know, a spouse, whatever, it just, it just doesn't. And so I, I really think that before you commit to it, you know, you need to find success in what you're doing because that actually will accelerate the transition. You know, it gives you that confidence, get those wins in your W2, W2 job, whatever, whatever it is that you do. And then carry that momentum into the transition of investing into real estate. Now, no, I'm not saying the full 100% jump is wrong, but if you're going to leave and commit 100% to uh, real estate, I would say that you need to be prepared to work harder than you worked in your W-2 job and do that for five years. And if you can do that, uh, you're probably going to exceed all your goals and, uh, and expectations. Right. It's a job. No, and I think you're right. I think you're right about that. I think 
I do agree with you that, you know, there's no like across the board, like right or wrong way. Whereas like, you know, this works for this person, this doesn't work for that. But I definitely agree with like, if don't, don't do it just because at, at a, because of desperation and don't do it because you're running away from something. Like I heard this, um, I heard this from somebody really wise one time, like when you're going, when you're transitioning or, or shifting um, in your life, um, in any area, make sure you're not jumping out of a frying pan into a fire. Like make sure that you're, you know, doing it mindfully and, you know, methodically in a thought out way. And then, you know, if you are, and if it does make sense for you in your financial situation to go in, you know, full time and quit the job, maybe you have, you know, other income coming from someplace else, or maybe your spouse or whatever it may be, then, you know, it may be the right fit for somebody, but it has to really make sense. It's not just like a desperation move where, you know, you're jumping in because you hate your current job so much and you just have to find a new way. So I definitely agree. And then there's one other part of that, which is, um, you know, sometimes when somebody's new to real estate, not sometimes, but most of the times, um, it's going to take them a little bit of time till they build themselves up, you know, and they're strong enough to be able to really take down a deal and, and attract the right partners and really find the right deal that pencils out and really works out well. So I think that if someone doesn't have any income coming in, they can sometimes feel that extra pressure to make a deal work, even if it's not the best deal, just because they need income. And sometimes that will cause them, you know, to be more desperate and try to, you know, fake a deal into working out when really it's not the best thing for them. And I think that by not having a W-2, by not having a job, sometimes, you know, it's it, it'll be a little easier to get blinded by something like that, just because you need income and you need to get a deal and you have to like prove that you can make this work. But keeping the W-2 on the side um, will allow you to have income. It'll keep you more level-headed. Yes, it's harder to balance both at the same time, but that's only temporary. Like that's going to go away eventually. Once you lock down your first, second, third, you know, once you start getting deals done, eventually you'll, you will probably have the option of, you know, leaving the W-2 and going into the real estate full-time. But that's just, um, that's just my thoughts on that. By the way, I, I I totally agree. We were just I was just having this conversation with a partner of mine earlier this week. We were doing due diligence on a property in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, okay. and uh, you know we both said, hey, you know we you know she's made it and I'm still working. So it's like if it doesn't work, that's fine. We can walk. It's no big deal. Um, but we have seen people out there where it is their full time job and they're really you know there's some urgency for them to go find that next deal because they've got to pay the bills and right. you know that's where you just have to make sure as a as an investor right um really digging into the operator do your due diligence understand you know how much deal flow do they have um you know make sure you really dig into the numbers and all the due diligence stuff that you know you've talked about before in other podcasts you know that it becomes really important but yeah you got to be willing to walk and you don't want to feel desperate Right. And, you know, from my understanding, like one of the biggest negotiation um, tactics in real estate or in anything, as a matter of fact, is to make the other party or at least make yourself believe that you don't absolutely need this deal. Like you don't need it. Like it, if it works out according to your numbers, it works out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm ready to walk. But when someone hasn't made income in, you know, six months, a year because they quit their W-2, it's, it's, it becomes really hard to do that because you kind of do need that income and you kind of yeah. need that deal. And it's hard to like, you know, give off this vibe of, oh, it's okay. Like, I don't need this anyways. You know, it'll be kind of hard to do that. Um, so yeah, just agreeing with you there. Um, I want to pivot into um, partnership for, for a second. Um, 
so you have a partner, you have one partner right now that you're working with. So you, your spouse and one other partner, is that correct? Yeah, actually. So that's my, for my personal assets in Oregon, that's true. But then I'm also, uh, I have some new partners uh, as part of uh, a couple of deals that we've done or doing, um, you know, as part of a GP team. Okay. Okay. Nice. So my question is, um, because this podcast, and I say this all the time, this is uh, specifically geared for people that are getting started in real estate. So it's, you know, I'm trying to keep this very beginner and trying to gear it towards people that are taking their first few steps and you know, struggling with certain things. And I know this um, for a fact, just through networking and even from my own past experience, like finding partners at first is something that is very, very hard for people. And A, a lot of people don't really know what their skill set is. They don't know what they should be looking for in a partner and they don't know how to attract the right partners. But we all know like a team, obviously in real estate is so important and it's kind of hard to go anywhere if you're not surrounded with really, really good people. So what advice would you be able to give to the listeners the newer listeners specifically that are new to the industry, they know they need to find a team, but they don't know, they don't know how about how to go about finding one, finding their, their partners or teammates. Yeah. Well, you know, definitely it starts with networking, right? You need to get exposed to different people that are already in the business. And then the thing that I actually struggle with, so just to, you know, to be clear, right? I was comfortable with some smaller multifamily um, assets, but as I was looking to do my first syndication, I didn't have that experience. And so I, I felt like I needed to link up with somebody else that had the deal, had the deal flow and, and knew what they were doing. And, you know, I, I think where I struggled was I was networking with a bunch of people. Um, and I felt like I was spreading myself too thin. And one of the things I did was I eventually focused on a person and I started to continue to just inquire about the deal flow. I noticed that they had a decent amount of deal flow coming in their way. They were a coach and you know, they, you know, they've been in different uh, mastermind programs. And so they, this person was a heavy networker and a connector and you know, went to every conference. And so I started to really focus on that one individual. And as I was talking to that individual, I started to really just to, you know, I was inquisitive, always asking about their deals and some of the challenges that they're having and where they're looking. And I would even say, Hey, I'm just, you know, I'm working on my investor list. Can you give me just some insights on a few deals that I can use as examples of things that, uh, you know, my team quote is, uh, is considering or looking at um, sort of just kind of taking that assumptive approach almost. And I finally decided to focus some of my efforts on capital raising as a way to add value to this individual, because I, I realized that, wait a minute, if, if he has this many deals, and I kind of found this out through some of my questioning, if he has this many deals, he's going to maybe potentially run into a challenge on having enough capital for all of them or enough people on his team to raise capital. So I said, all right, well, I'm going to kind of drop everything else I was trying to get really good at, which I was, I couldn't do it all anyways, started to focus my efforts on capital raising and, uh, you know, I got really organized around my lists and got my, you know, reintroduced uh, myself to, you know, my network on what I was doing and letting them know that I'm working on some, you know, growing my multifamily business. And I, I put 30 days of pretty significant effort into um, connecting with people, having calls, you know, all friends and family, but just you know, letting them know what I was doing. And every time I would talk to somebody and they share that they would be willing to invest in a deal if I found one, or they'd be interested in, in investing in a future deal, I would drop this individual text and say, Hey, just got another commitment, soft commitment for 50 K or Hey, just got another soft commitment for hundred K. 
And um, I started peppering them with just little updates. And my goal there was to show them that, look, number one, I have a high level of urgency. This is really important to me. Um, I wanted to show him that I was willing to hustle and willing to work. And um, yeah, so I just kept doing that. And, uh, you know, I'd check in with them and ask them questions. And right about the time I was, I was willing, I was feeling that uh, it's not working. Um, shoot, maybe even willing to give up and maybe try a different approach. He called me like that day and said uh, he liked to pull me in on a, on a team with a deal that they had in uh, North Carolina. So I just share that example because you know, however you get started, you, you need, I think, you know, I see a lot of people out there that you know, they're trying to be everything to everybody. Um, sometimes it's better to focus on fewer things and fewer people and go for quality. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I did. And it, I, it seemed to work for me. Right, right. No, that makes, that makes so much sense. And I'll, I'll share with you a personal story that we had. Um, we go to a trade show, my nine to five, we go to a trade show every single year, the same trade show. And one year um, we tried this approach where we were just, um, we get a certain amount of leads, you know, on average per year. And then it, it translates into a certain amount of, you know, customers. Um, this one year, we basically decided to try something new. And basically, instead of having like a legitimate conversation with whoever was interested, we were just going to track down every single person walking through the walking down the aisle and throw our business card at them, um, a catalog and a business card. And we were, you know, we, we wanted to try it one year. And basically, at the end, you know, we were at the end of the show. Um, we kind of were gathering all of our information and we're like, wow, look how many leads we have. We have so many leads this year. This was great. Like we're for sure, we're going to do so well on this once we start, you know, hitting these leads. And then as a result, we ended up doing miserable that year. And the reason was we called to follow up with people and nobody even remembered us. And we were like surprised because like, we gave you our card. What do you mean? Like, don't you have it? And the answer is like, he probably threw it out, threw it out at the, the nearest garbage can um, right when he left the show or maybe even still in the show. Um, the reason is like, we didn't take the time. It was a mistake. And like, we learned, you know, we, we really did learn from that, but it's kind of like what you're getting at right now. It's like, instead of, you know, going to a real estate meetup or a networking event and trying to give every single person your business card and trying to have a one minute chat with, you know, a hundred people, maybe try having, you know, an hour chat with one person, um, you know, and that may go a lot deeper because, all these people, you know, they're not, they're not going to remember you and they're networking with a lot of people and it's just not going to get anywhere in the relationship. But if you're really like persistent with this one person, um, you know, one or two people maybe per event or maybe even a little more, but if you're able to have a legitimate conversation with them, that can definitely go a lot further. And I kind of love what you did also with the following up with him, you know, with the little teases, Hey, I got a 50 K here. I got a hundred K here. I got a 50 K here. You're, you did kind of the same thing. You had this one person that you were trying to build a relationship with and you were going deep with this person. You were going deep. You were staying connected. You were texting. You were building and continuing the relationship and it, it ended up paying off in, in huge dividends. So I think that's just brilliant advice. And like, I, I really love that. that. That's amazing. Yeah, and it sounds like you've, you're in a sales role or you've been in a sales role. And if any of your listeners out there are salespeople as well, it's, it's really no different than, you know, do you go try to focus on a hundred accounts or do you do a little bit of a deeper territory plan or an account plan for, you know, the really the key target accounts that you want to go wide and deep on. Um, you know, sometimes one way pays, pays better than the other. 
Yeah, no, absolutely agree with that. Um, what kind of asset classes are you focusing on within your multifamily real estate? Are you are you scared of the D class? Are you targeting A class? Or are you you know like maybe like most people like B and C and and why? Yeah, definitely the uh, the C C plus uh, class. I do own a <laughs> probably more like a C minus building in a uh, you know a tertiary market that um, you know everything you hear about them. It's true. Uh, there's a lot more challenges. Cash flow is fantastic, but uh, it just comes with a lot of headaches, both tenant and maintenance uh, headaches. Um, you know, I really, a lot of our assets had been in kind of that 1970s range. And, you know, as time has gone by, I've raised the bar to really, you know, kind of cutting it off at the 1980s um, range of age. Um but yeah, mostly uh, value add, you know, just like a lot of people out there. Um, you know, we try to look at deals right now that uh, maybe it's a lighter lift. Um, maybe it's a little bit more of an operational challenge, you know, lighter turns, you know, maybe there's, um, you know, we don't necessarily have to go in and replace every single roof. Um, and I think in this market, uh, just you know, being a little bit more conscious of taking on uh, big, heavy CapEx lifts, um, you know, is, uh, is important to us. And, you know, we'll, we'll look at that maybe differently later, but that's right now it's, you know, we're just really looking for um, kind of the lighter, lighter lift when it comes to some of the work we want to do. Okay. All right. No, that makes sense. And, you know, I hear a lot of people, um, I, I feel like a lot of people start out in with, with the lesser quality assets. And when I say lesser quality, I'm talking more like C and maybe even like, a, you know, C minus. And it sounds like you have, you have one asset like that. And then they kind of like, as time goes on, they kind of um, shift their focus and, and try getting a little bit more into the newer, um, you know, a, a lot of the newer assets and the, the newer product um, is, like is the main reason um just because of like deferred maintenance tenants like are those the main things or is there anything else like um is, is there any other reason why people would be shifting more towards the newer product especially when the old product are cash flowing usually so much more yeah i mean part of it is just uh you know if it's too old you start to get some functional obsolescence you start to get bigger infrastructure related problems you know like you know got some 70s buildings where you know, that plumbing, some of it's older. I have one building that's in 1950s. It's a really cool eight, uh, eight plex brick building, great location, but uh, you know, all the, the radiant, it has radiant heating. It's in the, in the uh, slab floor, right? So if it's that old and those pipes are starting to de deteriorate, um, you know, you got to go locate the leak and break up the floor and fix it and repair it and totally disrupt the tenant and, um, so, you know, the costs start to go up on um, the buildings that are older. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's mostly the maintenance side of it uh, you know, okay. no, that you're going to have to deal with. Yeah, and, and it makes sense, you know, why most newbies or, or newer investors would not target those more, but be able to get into those more because I just think there's less competition because most of the savvier and more experienced investors are trying to stay away from those. So it makes it a little bit more accessible to the newer investor. Yeah. And there's, there's a reason why they're more affordable. Exactly. Exactly. So it's also, it's, it's, it's more cash flow, but it's also more headache at the same time. So it's really a, a pretty, you know, nice trade-off right there. I don't know if it's a nice trade-off, but it's a trade-off. 
Um, here's a question that I started mixing into my podcast a little bit more recently. And I like this one because it doesn't just shine on, it just, it, it, we don't just talk about like everything that went right and everything that went well. Um, but what mistakes have you made investing in real estate in the past? Like what would you, you know, what, what was it kind of like a pitfall that you would, you know, know now to like stay away from or do differently? Yeah, definitely. Um, not paying attention to the details. Um, so I had a partner and we had a great division of labor and he liked to handle the maintenance stuff. He didn't want to deal with any of the tenants. So I did all the leasing, dealt with the banks. He did all the maintenance, dealt with the problems and that all worked out well. And he also, he, he was also paying the bills, but uh, we didn't really have the systems in place to track um, expense creep over time. I mean, he, we were just back, well, I mean, 20 years ago, we were recording it on a piece of binder paper in a, in a right. book or in a ledger. And so we had a, a tax assessment that came in on a property. It was a fourplex, and but it happened to be on two lots. And one of the lots had really, you know, it was like a $200 a year bill. And the rest of the tax was applied to the other lot, um, you know, and it was fine. But then at some point, somebody from the city of Portland came out and we just weren't paying attention. And they did this reassessment, which we, we're locked in. You can't raise property taxes more than 3% a year, which is kind of, it's good in a way, right. which is sort of unique for the West Coast, I guess. But the uh, what they did was they didn't reassess it. They just kind of re-swizzled the whole value and they split the valuation across the two lots. Well, then what that did was that created some mechanism for them to raise it uh, almost by $2,000 a year. And keep in mind, when it's only a fourplex, $2,000 straight out of your um, your operating income, that really hurts. Wow, right. And we just, my, my partner paid it. I wasn't really in tune to the details. And then by the time the next year came around and I went to go follow up on it, we missed the window to appeal. And we still appealed it, went to the the uh, volunteer committee that the county has. And they pretty much said, yeah, we agree. You got screwed, but you know what? It's too late. You missed the window to go do this the right way. And you're, now your tax is a tax. And so um, cash flow, it, we took a hit and we ended up selling it. We did fine. We, I mean, we made, we made money and rolled that into a, a, a 15 unit building. Um, but, you know, I would have rather had addressed it and maybe even um, kept it. Um, it just didn't make sense after that point from a cash flow perspective. Mm -hmm. Got it. Right. No, that's actually very helpful. So thanks for sharing that. Um, all right, let's pivot in and roll into the final four here. Um, what is your why? Yeah. So from when I set the goal to, to build up 300 units fully paid off, you know, the goal there was to be able to have you know plenty of cash and we would have plenty of cash flow at that point from 300 units, just travel internationally, um, you know, kind of ex continue to expose our, our minds to different parts of the world. And then, um, you know, it's hard to say where your kids might end up. So I wanted the flexibility to say, all right, well, if my kids aren't in my same state, you know, at some point they have grandkids, I want to be able to just hunker down where they're at and, and maybe live there for a month and go to their soccer games, go to their football games and, and be closer and part of the family, even though they live in another state. Um, that's what we've been working towards this whole time. Right, right. Just uh, to be able to have more freedom in your life, to be able to go pretty much where you want, when you want, and be closer to the people that you, you know, that you love. So yeah, that, that's a beautiful why. I love that. Um, what is your favorite book? Yeah, so usually it's the book that I'm reading. You know, every time I get into a book, it's like, oh, this is a great book. So the one I just finished was uh, Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. 
And uh, that was great because I, I personally, I struggle with always trying to figure out how do I go get this done? How do I fix my website? How do I fix active campaign? Um, and finally, you know, I realized, well, Hey, I can burn a lot of cycles trying to figure this out. There's probably somebody out there that already has figured it out. Um, why don't I go find them? And that's really opened my mind up to, to, you know, scaling and doing things more efficiently. Right. And, you know, it's interesting. I heard that, um, Henry Ford actually, believe it or not, claimed that he knew nothing about cars. And I think that just reinforces um, your who, not how, you know, theory of, of this book, because it really is, it's all about the people. Like, especially if you're building a business, which, you know, we all are, we're building real estate businesses and hopefully empires. Like it's, it's all about finding the right people that can, you know, fill in for, you know, whatever position that's expected of them to be able to, you know, make sure that the train is rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the entrepreneur, which I feel like real estate, you know, the real estate investors, we really are entrepreneurs. It's more about, I I feel like most of our job, I think in the beginning, maybe not because we do have to do everything ourselves and it's good to learn the process, but a lot of the job is just finding the right people for the right seats. Yeah, totally agree. Right. Um, All right. What advice would you give somebody that's looking to get started in real estate? Well, I think step, just get started. And it, it seems so big and daunting. I mean, even for me, I mean, I, I've been doing smaller units for, for years. Uh, I was intimidated by taking the next step, but what I realized was I, I can't learn until I just get started with integrating myself into that environment. So whether it's going to meetups, going to virtual meetups, um, I would start with that first and just start to learn the terms, learn the environment, learn some of the names in your local market. And you don't even know sometimes what questions to ask. And so getting educated and surrounding yourself with the people that are doing it, um, you know, if you've got the funds, join a a, a mentorship program or get a coach. Um, But I would, I would not wait. I would get into your first and go to multiple meetups in your market and just start meeting people and, um, you know, be yourself, be authentic, and you can tell them you're new and you're there to learn. And there's lots of people that are willing to teach. That's fantastic. What is your favorite hobby? Well, right now, so I love the golf, but right now I am, uh, my hobby is uh, I've got a new podcast called High Tech Freedom, and I am just having a ball. Um, it's, it's a podcast for tech salespeople where I bring on other successful tech salespeople, salespeople in general, leaders, entrepreneurs, thought leaders to share insights and best practices and, you know, lessons learned, career advice, that type of stuff. And, you know, the, the idea there is in order, you know, first you need to learn from the best in order to earn like the best. And then from a tech sales perspective, how do you take those high, uh, you know, take those commission dollars and redeploy them into something that's going to create that passive income growth for the freedom that we're all looking for. And so um, it's, it's interesting because I've been in tech sales for 26 years and I love bringing on these successful people because I learn a ton and I go around, I turn around and go ahead and use some of that same information with my own sales team. And I'm getting better uh, in my role and it benefits me both on the, uh, the tech sales front, as well as uh, the real estate side of things. So uh, that's, that's my new hobby, having a good time and really enjoying it. No, it's great. It's great. And I'll tell you, like, you know, people constantly ask me, like, why, 
why a podcast, right? And first of all, there's so it, it's so hard to answer because there are so many benefits. I never know like what to say first, but you know, having all of these guests on um, that are just experienced and have done exactly like what I want to do. Like, how do you put a number to the value of that? Like, that is just so valuable. And now all these people, like I have their numbers, I text them. Um, if I have a question, I reach out to these, you know, high net worth real estate investors. And it's just like, it's it's amazing. It's incredible. So there's so many benefits, but for me, like it may be like a selfish reason and it's not just for that, but that's, it's a big draw. It's a very, very big plus that like, you know, people don't notice, like you get someone on your podcast, you're now friends, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's, you know, that's incredible. But so from my understanding, this is not a real estate podcast, right? This is just, um, not, not just, but this is for high tech individuals, you know, getting uh, about like financial awareness kind of thing. Yeah, well, it's, so it's more about uh, what. So if I'm bringing on somebody, I like I had a guest that uh, he had spent a top salesperson four years, three years in a row, and number two the fourth year, and you know, so th when I bring on somebody like that that talks about how they look at the business, how they go about um, running their accounts, or how they've built up pipeline as an example, or um, you know, maybe even mindset about how to kind of structure and plan out for their next year. Um, that's the type of information that I'm trying to bring to my audience. But at the same time, right, all of these tech salespeople, they're in tech sales because you can go make some great money, but they're not doing it because they want to, they love it. And they want to be in it forever. They're doing it because they have something that they're working towards, you know, some future freedom that they're trying to get to. So there's a, a little component where we talk about how have you invested, you know, you know your, your commission dollars to set yourself up for the future. Right. And sometimes real estate comes up, sometimes it's other stuff, but uh, it, it's interesting because more and more when I talk to these people, the ones that have set themselves up for the future, guess what they have? Real right. estate. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's almost, uh, you know, across the board kind of thing that, you know, anyone that really does have a, you know, nice amount of passive income and, you know, cash flow coming in, it's, it's more likely than not, it's from real estate more than, more than anything else. So hey, Penny, do you mind if I tell you a quick story from an interview I did on Saturday? Absolutely. So I'm talking to a guy, and this is a guy that, you know, three years in a row, number one sales rep. He uh, he bought a Tesla when the Model S first came out. And, uh, you know, he loved it. Um, bought it online from his computer, 100 grand, right? And, you know, now, you know, after he's aged a little bit, he looks back, he's like, yeah, you know, I could have taken that 100 grand and bought Tesla stock and I could be buying 15 Teslas right now. And his point wasn't so much go invest in the stock market or buy Tesla stock. It was more that, his focus now is you know, why I, I need to put my money into appreciating assets versus depreciating depreciating assets. It's just, you know, lesson he learned is he's kind of aged a little bit and matured and had kids and built up his family. Right. No, that's great. That's great. And I could, I definitely could not agree more. So I'm glad he, he came to this realization a little too late, but better late than never. Right. Right. <laughs> Anyways. Um, all right. Where can people reach you? Yeah. So if you want to go to uh, LinkedIn, uh, it's just Chris Freeman. Uh, no other digits uh, when you search for my name. And then uh, our uh, we have a new uh, website, uh, hightechfreedom.com. And you can find us there. And uh, my email is chris at hightechfreedom.com. All right. Fantastic. Well, Chris, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and uh, wishing you much uh, continued success. Yeah, thanks, Penny. Really enjoyed it. Take care now.